I think what we provide as a fractional CFO is very similar. Yeah. We're able to come in with some pretty clear um, clear eyes, if you will, and just say, hey, I know that you're connected to this idea. Here are the problems I'm seeing. Here are the ways we can mitigate those problems. Like, what are your, you know, three to six to 12 really important numbers? Mm-hmm. And then let's get the get out there and measure those. Let's get them visible to everybody. It speeds up a company's decision making, which just puts you at such a great advantage. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Coffee Break Podcast, where our mission is to share business ideas, practices, and strategies while we enjoy our cup of coffee. Today's guest is Brent Allen from Amplify. He's going to be talking about the value of a fractional CFO, some of the things that you may be interested in for your organization, KPIs, key performance indicators, all of the things that you can pay attention to to understand how your business is operating. Very eye-opening conversation, a great guy to chat with. Before we get into the conversation, though, I do want to invite you to subscribe if you haven't already. We have a a brand new episode every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. And the best way to get a hold of those are to subscribe. Whatever video platform you're watching on right now, Facebook or YouTube or whatever audio platform you're listening to right now, if it's Spotify or, uh, or Apple Podcasts, make sure you hit the subscribe button because this podcast is one that you don't want to miss. And we've got more on the way. Thank you for joining us today. Grab a cup of coffee. Let's get ready for this conversation with Brent Allen. We got so much to say. We got a podcast to make. We're sipping on lattes. And it's time for a coffee break. It's time for a coffee break. All right, Brent, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. It's glad to have you in the studio. We do a lot of these where I'm staring at a computer screen mm-hmm. and talking to people, and it's always nice to have somebody in studio and uh, to have a conversation face-to-face. What a great studio you have here. It's ah, amazing. Appreciate it, man. Well, as we do on the podcast, we do rapid fire. Five randomly selected questions, I'm, and it's true. These are random. I just hit the button and they pop up, so right. no, not sure exactly what I'm going to throw at you, uh, but we'll give you that, and then we'll give you a score at the end. Uh, based off of uh, a known point value. Sounds fun. Let's do it. You ready? All right. Question number one, what do you like best about yourself? Mm. What do I like? Uh, Probably my ability to learn quickly. It's the thing I like to do most, and it's fun. You talking just uh, before we got on here? You talked about um, the fact that some people like to know how things work. I'm yeah. somebody who likes to know how things work. If I got a lock from you, I'm going to pull it apart, understand it all. So, all right, learn learns quickly. I like it. All right, question number two: What do you consider the most difficult food to eat? Wow, we're going to go from what, the thing that you like about yourself to yeah. the most difficult. Food. You ever had pho? You know what that is? It's like yeah. a Vietnamese. Noodle mm-hmm. soup dish. I have no idea how to eat that. Chase it around the bowl. Yeah. Yeah. No idea. Well, it's also, <laughs> the, the other thing is it's one of the most difficult things to pronounce. There you go. There you yeah. go. Question number three, is it better to read books in electronic form or actually hold the book? Uh, I'm a, I'm a mix. Uh, I love listening to Audible mm-hmm. and then uh, also buy the book and at night I highlight the areas where I've I've listened. So All right. So this is a bonus question. All right. What's the la- latest book that you've been reading? Uh, emotional agility. That's emotional good. agility. Yeah, You're the second person that I've talked to about that recently. You are, are you a fan? Yeah, I, I love books about brain science and understand yourself better. You know, one of the things as individuals that we have, I think we have the hardest time with, whether it's me or the folks who work with me or the folks I work beside, um, is um, 
handling your emotions in a time of stress and then continue to make good decisions. Most most bad decisions you can tra- trace back to somebody being emotionally off balance, I think. Interesting. So what's the biggest thing you've learned from this book so far? These are all bonus questions, by the way. They don't count. <laughs> Come on, I got to get some extra credit here. <laughs> um, you know, it, it really is all about perspective and lens and, and being able to back up. And anytime you're feeling something, anytime there's a situation or a circumstance, there are so many assumptions that your brain is making about other people's intent or the um, anything leading up to that. Yeah. And if you're if you'll remain curious about it, if you'll step back, you'll calm yourself down, know that the things that you're thinking aren't fact. I yep. think that's the, those are the keys. Wow. All right. I'm going to have to check this book out. I am, I'm very intrigued. All right. Question number four, I believe. What question have people recently been constantly asking you? Hmm. Question you've given getting the most. Well, this time of year, being from a finance background, I get a lot of very detailed questions about taxes. So uh, most people... Personally, um, because, you know, we talked a little bit about this off offline too. people think that because I'm a CFO, I'm a CPA. And while I have had my CPA uh, license in the past, I'm not practicing. I don't do taxes on a day in and day out basis. So I have to do a lot of I don't know, but call this guy. Yeah. I I just tell people I don't pay it. Just (laughs) you'll be fine. They'll never find you. All right. Question number five. Last one. How long do you think you could survive on your own? Forever. Forever? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as long as my, until I would naturally die. Sure. Really? Yeah. Survivalist. Sure. I mean, like out in the woods by yourself? Yeah, yeah. we'll figure it out. Really? Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> very short for me. Very, oh, yeah? Yeah. You're going to die quickly? Probably, yeah. <laughs> I'd probably be eaten by something very uh, quickly. I yeah. Gotcha. Or starved to death, one of the two. <laughs> All right, very cool. Congratulations. You passed rapid fire. We'll give you a score of uh, 667. We have no idea what that score means. Out of what? 668? <laughs> if you think highly of yourself, of course, I would have if probably said out of 650. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, cool. Well, welcome again to the podcast. Uh, so we're going to be talking a little bit today, I guess. I'm trying to think how to frame this, but you, you um, offer fractional CFO services, and so... You know, we've talked to some other folks in the past that are fractional COOs or uh, you know, operate in those different things. And then you have obviously consultants and uh, you know, the, the kind of the breadth there. Uh, what is the benefit, I guess, to start with? Like what is what is what does a fractional CFO do for my business? Yeah, if if you'll indulge me, I'll I'll start. A, a different end, but come back quickly to okay. your question. And that's, uh, I started this business. I was a member of Vistage, which I, and we spoke yep. about early on. Uh, I got the opportunity to run a large manufacturing business, was in, in Vistage because of that. And I uh, sat around a table with 18 CEOs every single month that were phenomenal. I mean, they were the best of the best at what they did. And I watched um, as these businesses, especially the ones between $5 million, uh, in revenue and let's say 50 million revenue really struggle with the financial side of their business in a couple of different ways. The first is they did not feel like they had access to capital. Mm-hmm. So they were growing, uh, they were profitable, but because maybe they were service-based businesses that weren't heavy in assets, they had been told by bankers in the past that they didn't qualify for any type of financing. And that was holding them back from being able to reach some of their goals and dreams. Sure. 
Um, next is they had accounting staff, uh, whether that whether they called that person a controller, or a CFO, or bookkeeper, or office manager, and generally they were really frustrated with that function and that person. And while they felt that that person uh, was very dedicated and worked all the time, they weren't getting the results out of the other end that they needed, sure. and they didn't have enough expertise to know how to manage that person, coach them up, or replace them. Okay. And so that's an area where we provide a lot of benefit uh, to business owners. Um, and then cash flow forecasting is probably been the third major thing. And that's one of the things that I've learned over the years is there's only one thing that will kill a business and that's run out of cash. Mm -hmm. Uh, everything else you can recover from. And so I think that when I, when I think about a lot of the stress that is on business owners and, and folks that manage businesses, cash and making sure that you can appropriately project what your cash is going to be through seasonality, through downturns, um, and, you know, really just any new projects um, is, is critical. So we, we've talked about this, I think, some of the past, but just to kind of go into a little bit of a review structure, your typical business. So you just kind of put it into a cap of five to or a, a frame of five to 50 million, uh, which I'm sure that there's, you know, conversations lower than that and higher than that, obviously. Absolutely. But I think that's a that's a, a, a good a good space to think through. Those businesses, a lot of times, were started by somebody. They were really good at their craft. That practitioner was was you know the best in the business, and then the company started to grow as a basis of that. And as a primary objective, they were not focused on the financial future or really the financial situation of the business they were in, getting it done and generating top-line revenue, mm -hmm. profitability of the company, and all those other things were not really their, their forte. And when you talk to a lot of those people, they will typically give you some type of a result or, or uh, an answer of, well, my accountant will tell me at the end of the year or uh, it depends on how much money I have in the bank or whatever. And that's mm -hmm. a lot of the metrics by which businesses operate. Mm -hmm. So that and so we can attest to that, right? So in, in anywhere in that space, it's then having to, I guess, start to have the realization that, oh, one, I'm, I'm cash strapped and I want to grow or... I don't quite understand what levers I need to pull to gain profitability in the company because we feel like we're all stretched uh, to to the capacity. And I think to your mm -hmm. point, right, my accounting staff is doing an amazing job taking care of invoicing and doing all the things, but that they're not necessarily prepared to handle the financial uh, projections or future for the organization mm -hmm. more so they're managing what they have now. Yeah, I think those are all good points. And to your point about businesses that bootstrap their way up, that's, you know, that's what I see um, more than not. Um, and that works until it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, the break point there, we could we could talk about different points in revenue. But the break point is when the owner or the, the founder can no longer be everywhere all at once. Mm -hmm. So once you start getting in multiple locations or the business grows beyond Let's call it ten or fifteen employees. I don't know, there's there's a lot of triggers that um, that lead down that path. But at that point, what happens? Uh, employees typically make uh, decisions much much slower than owners, which makes a lot of sense. The owners should have a little more feel for everything that's going on. Plus, they're making decisions on you know they're the ones that have the con the ultimate consequences of that. 
Um, what I find is when the owner gets further away from those decisions through growth, uh, people start to slow down and even stall uh, waiting on that owner to come back around. And so it leads to this um, really frustrating cycle of the owner, er, wherever they are, things are going okay. And then they get to the next place and they can't believe things haven't happened. And so they stir that up for a while. Well, we found that if you have really good data, Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm not just talking about historical financial statements you get from your CPA, but somebody to come in, a CFO to come in and help you develop your KPIs. Like what are your, you know, three to six to 12 really important numbers? Mm-hmm. And then let's get the, get out there and measure those. Let's get them visible to everybody. And then um, let's help people understand how to make decisions. Like the moment that this thing goes red, this is what you do. The moment, you know, what, whatever the action items are, it, it speeds up a company's decision-making, which just puts you at such a great advantage. So for those that haven't read Measure What Matters or other, uh, uh, the four disciplines of execution, KPI, before they Google it, what is what is that referring it's to? It's called Key Performance Indicator. So it's, it's something that, again, a business owner normally has a gut for these things, mm-hmm. but it's getting it out on paper, pulling it out of them, and them to us really understand what are the key things that drive a business? Love to look at both um, leading and lagging indicators. Mm-hmm. So leading are the most beneficial. If you can, instead of me worrying about whether I hit my sales goal this month, if I've got leading indicators that tell me whether I'm going to hit it next month or not, it just gives me so many more tools to change the outcome if it's not lined up to be what I want it to be. At LockDoc Security, we know that managing access to your facility can be challenging and time-consuming. From making sure new hires have access from day one to setting time restrictions for on-site vendors, LockDoc Security offers a wide range of solutions to help you manage any size facility. Take full control of your buildings, grant and revoke access quickly and easily, guaranteeing your facility's safety inside and out. LockDoc Security, your access management solution. Yeah, there's a couple of groups that I hang out in, and we had the great uh, lead lag debate of 2020. Uh, We were were navigating a lot of this because we got into this really um, eye-opening conversation when we were in the middle of a pandemic and uh, everything just kind of stopped. And we said, how do we know when things are coming back to normal? And it opened up this entire conversation about KPIs and about measurables and how do we, are we just watching our revenue? Are we watching what leading indicators are going to help uh, to kind of drive that? So like this conversation, these conversations are exciting to me. Where, where do you play in that conversation um, from a, a fractional CFO or from the, those types of services? How does that, how is that, is that the role of the CFO is to bring uh, kind of visibility to that. Mm-hmm. And and I guess that's question number one. And then I've got some follow-up questions on, on that. Sure. So if I understand where you're headed, if you have some type of event that changes the landscape and we're uncertain how, how the landscape's going to change. So I've got a, a body of KPIs. Now, COVID hits, what do I do? I can tell you how we handle that with our, with our customers or our clients. Um, you know, at that point, we don't we're in a, in a pattern we don't know, we can't recognize, so we have to try to predict. Um, and maybe the, you'll have somebody on here. Maybe you're great at 100% accuracy and, and predicting the future. I know that I've never been successful sure. there. So we run at least three to five models on everything. And what we, we seek is the uh, most um, likely scenario. Mm-hmm. We, we like to plan around that. But we 
take that and we run scenarios all the way down until it's at a point where we can't couldn't stand it anymore. Whether that is we ran out of cash or whatever, go go as far down. So let's just say in 2020, we were doing that modeling and we would model for a customer. What happens? We think you're going to be down 20% for three months. What happens if you're down 60% for six months? And we just keep running these scenarios until we find it. When we find the one that breaks us, we, uh, we then spend a lot of time putting mitigants in place that help us to make sure that we never get there or past there. Gotcha. And then we get really aggressive. And so I know I'm, I'm going around your question, but what I would tell you is at, at that moment, we developed multiple KPIs. We were watching, instead of watching five things, we were watching 15 things and we were prepared for whichever way it broke yeah. that, that we would be able to handle it. The really special thing that happened in COVID for folks that that had that that were our clients is once we got that baseline, once we got the floor underneath us, mm-hmm. we got really really aggressive. And I know there's a lot of businesses that had their best year in 2020, but our clients outperformed. I mean, they just phenomenal. They ate their competition alive because they went back on the offensive three months, six months before the the rest of the folks around them. Yeah. So I what when when you start to dive into that because this. I, I don't know from your experience, um, and, and and maybe you're answering this question through the modeling, that starts to lead to understanding what those those lead measures would be or those KPIs are. That's part of the exercise to, to figure that out because what I've seen in the conversations I've had with people is that is a big challenge of mm-hmm. trying to figure out what are the lead measures that we do? What are the KPIs that we want to watch um, outside of throwing – throwing some mud against the wall and seeing how it works for a while and then going, yeah, that didn't really tell us anything and, and, and trying again, um, like it through your, through your process, through your, uh, engagement with people, like what is the, I don't want to say the fastest, the most effective path to Mm -hmm. getting good quality KPIs. And then the kind of follow up on that is the frequency by which you're, uh, iterating those or validating that that's still what we need to be watching. Yeah. Again, it's a great question. Um, I think we use a lot of industry data, you know, there, there's just so much information out there, whatever you're doing as a business, there's somebody else doing it and there's somebody else probably doing it well. Mm -hmm. And that, that, information is more and more accessible, even in private businesses. So we do a lot of study in industry specific on, um, um, KPIs, as well as just our own experience about what has moved the needle. But really what the, the key to KPIs is getting it out there, getting, again, as few as you possibly can to achieve the objective. So five is better than 10, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, getting it active and then um, testing those KPIs. And the way you test them is you go, you monitor them uh, on an ongoing basis. And do they drive you to action? Mm-hmm. So is there, if it goes red that day, do you go out and do something about it? Or do you stand around the board or the, you know, whatever sure. the, the TV and you, you try to explain it away, or you say that thing's going to turn around in four weeks. If you start doing things like that, then you probably have the wrong metrics, in my opinion. They don't drive you to immediate action. Gotcha. So so, so good KPIs, especially on the lead measures, are going to, which is the whole thing like we talked about, we've talked about it so many different ways, but the effectively getting to the point where you can say, to, if I look at the report uh, today from yesterday, I should know if we've seen a dramatic change. And if so, those predetermined KPIs are going to tell us what 
actions we need to start taking, what what uh, what that opens up for us in kind of this next phase. So mm-hmm. for us, and I'll, I'll just kind of toss this out instead of speaking um, vague, one of the KPIs that we watch is the number of site visits created by week. So uh, it, we, we kind of have a target line that we're shooting for, and we watch that. And if it drops below, then we know what needs to be taken, uh, what actions need to be taken, and we know what the impact of that is going to be mm. over a period of time. The second one that we watch is our quote request. So based off of the number of quote requests created, we know what our average acceptance rate is, so we can start to predict out what, that, what those revenues are going to generate for us. So if we see those numbers start to drop, we know very succinctly within one week that we need to go out and start to uh, drive more opportunities or else that is going to impact us in the next 30 to, to 45 days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you think about you versus your competition. How many, how many folks do what you guys do and they start trying to correct it when the impact happens, you know, in 60, 90 days, whatever it is. Well, I mean, that's, hist- you know, in our world, that's, that's, I think that's how we have, and I, I don't want to, ever portray that we've got it figured out, but because it's kind of like a, a constant navigation, right? Sure. But you know, that's how we figured some of those things out previously is because we sat there and said, hold on a second, like what happened? And I, one of the, one of the memorable events for us, I think if I go back to, it might've been 2015, uh, we had a significant change in our business and we, we became very reactionary to it. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, it effectively stopped us from going after new sales opportunities and we just started handling what was coming in right then Mm. and it didn't impact us then Mm. like we covered all of our bases we saw the impact of it in about four to six months down the line Mm. and we're like hold on a second why is everything slowed down and it was a direct correlation to the time frame of when we had when we made that shift and it was a big lesson for me because i had to learn when things change there are certain things that have to keep going and we have to make adjustments in other areas, but you know, new sales opportunities is something that you don't want to slow down on. And mm-hmm. again, now the question comes back to is like you said, kind of at the initial of this conversation, knowing that intuitively versus on a, on a dashboard that everybody can see so they can, everybody can take action. You'd be shocked at how much faster decisions are made. People will, people will put off decisions for six months and they see the data, they'll make it that the decision that day, even though they knew it in their gut the whole time. Yeah. Um, the, I think it's really interesting when you talk about the disconnect, I think in life, but certainly in business, the disconnect or the, the time lag, I would say, between action and result. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we're going into one of the more interesting times I've seen as a professional, we're going into a recession with inflation, which is really interesting because it kind of breaks all the rules about how you go into either, right? Whether it's a recession or uh, inflationary times, but it's totally predictable. This is a result of 2020. Uh, this is a result of COVID, mm-hmm. and you know we've been prepping our clients the whole time for this because um, I I think what the government did in large was right, but not to get in any kind of political debate. Like when you do what they did, yeah. you are going to have what we're going to experience in 23. Sure, and it's not the end of the world. Like you don't have to be scared of it. You don't have to put your head in the sand, but you have to be able to recognize what are the threats and what are the opportunities that are come going to come because of that. Yeah, it's 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 wild too. There. There's, uh, um, so you're part of Vistage, so you're mm-hmm. familiar with ITR, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I watched a, uh, um, a, 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 a deal with them the other day. It is interesting because, so ITR, I, I'm, I'm probably I'm shortcutting this for our audience, but ITR is an economics outlook 
organization. Yeah, I, yeah. Is they're, that, the, they're the weatherman for, uh, for business. Right? Economic weatherman, right? <laughs> uh, but I, I sat in a, actually in, in Charlotte at a, a, a Vistage event in 20, I want to say 17. I'm just making that year up. It was somewhere mm-hmm. around there. But they, I recall, remember, and I probably have it in a note somewhere, where they talk, were already talking about things that they're still talking about for 2025 and 2030, mm-hmm. but they also predicted in 2020 and 2021 a shift in the economics. Nobody knew exactly what it was going to be around, but that was all predicted based off of other economic cycles that they've been watching for 40 or 50 years. Mm-hmm. So to, to your point, like if you can create a model – you can create some key performance indicators and you're watching those, then you're going to see that and you're going to understand the, uh, I guess, the 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 runway to that impact versus sitting there going, oh, what in the world just happened? Not that this is a commercial for Vistage, but one of the, <laughs> one of the reasons why I love Vistage is uh, – it, it allows you to back up out of the day-to-day. I know you, you talked about earlier, you guys got to reactionary mm-hmm. after some event. And I would imagine that at that moment, you couldn't see the forest for the trees because oh, sure. you, were, you were in it, yep. right? And so one of the things I love about Vistage is at least once a month, we come out of it mm-hmm. and pe- have people tell us what their their honest opinion about what's going on. I think what we provide as a fractional CFO is very similar. Yep. We're able to come in with some pretty clear um, clear eyes, if you will, and just say, hey, I know that you're connected to this idea. Here are the problems I'm seeing. Here are the ways we can mitigate those problems. So it's not telling you, no, you can't go in the direction you want to go in. It's just how do we do it with less risk and, um, you know, a higher upside? Yeah. And I would say, too, I see what some of the value for that is bringing the, you know, Whenever you talk about a Vistage or a, a any type of a mastermind that you're a part of, you're a group of people that are coming together that are sharing ideas and concepts because the problem that I'm running through today is you – know, Business, it, there's not a whole lot of new things that are happening yeah. in business. It's like 12 problems. Yeah. In, in, <laughs> and you said it at the beginning, right? Like at, there's there's milestones in, in most businesses – Number of employees, amount of revenue, and those a lot of times are correlating depending on the industry. They're going to happen at different markers. But the problems that you face with six employees versus 16 versus 36 are all very similar. And so if I'm sitting in a mastermind with somebody that's got 55 employees and I've got 40 and then there's another guy in there that's got 16, we're all sharing those ideas and Mm -hmm. collaborating together. And that's a long statement for me to say the fractional CFO um, brings the value of I've just had a conversation with a business that is doing 25 million in revenue and here's the problems that they're running into or here's the models that they're looking at. You're at 10. So here's the models that I think would be uh, applicable to you versus the businesses trying to figure it out on your own because that's what everybody else is doing at the current moment. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, you know, that wasn't I, really a question. I know I just threw no, it. A bunch of- <laughs> That's great. I, and, I, it led me thinking about how simple this all sounds. Mm-hmm. We sit, we sit here and talk about it. It's like, yeah, man, you go down, go, you know, get, go take care of that in an hour. Right. The, the problem is picking the right KPIs, testing them, but also a lot of the problem is data and making sure that your data is good. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, Data is not about your computer system most of the time. It's about your routines and your process and how your people um, execute on a day-in, day-out basis. And so there's a lot of nuance and challenge in uh, getting that right and communicating it right and holding people accountable to it and helping them understand what the value of it is. So 
more than anything, I, I call it a data-driven culture. More than anything, when you make that shift, it's not just about the top end. It's about really pushing it all the way through your organization. Well, it, and I, I think that's a valid point, right? So it's you you can you can go in and say, let's we're going to hire a fractional CFO and he's going to give us all this stuff. If it just sits in that owner's office on his desk underneath the 32 proposals that he's working on because he's trying to make sure he's driving revenue, then you're not going to get the impact from it. And then you're going to sit there and go, well, this was useless. This was a waste of an investment. Mm -hmm. Getting that exposure, that visibility to everybody else in the organization is huge. Like that is one thing. If we were to break off of this conversation and and like that is the one thing that I'm probably passionate about is the moment that this organization started to create visibility to everybody is when we started to see some changes. The challenge with it is how do you continue to bring that information and make it relevant to everybody in the organization? Uh, But no change happens if it's quadrant off into one person's visibility, because that is the, uh, the ultimate recipe for uh, capping a business growth when it's just sitting at that in that person's visibility. Yeah. And I think the other thing is managers or business owners that we do poorly a lot of times is tell people the why as we, we go all the way down and telling them why that we need them to do certain activities. Mm-hmm. And until they do that, until they understand that and buy in, they'll, they'll fight it. And so being able to show them, Hey, th- this is, this is what's going on in our business. When we do this, this happens. And when this happens, this happens. And at the end of the day, that means that the business is more profitable, which means we can invest and grow, which means you can grow, which means you can make more money. Um, so, you know, I, that's that's where we're a little bit different than most fractional CFO firms. We're very heavy on the business side. We love we love helping coach owners and managers through that process, not just to figuring out the data, but how do we get it implemented? How do we communicate it? Fight back against the spread of germs with specialty design door hardware. From arm hooks and crash bars to wave to open. At LockDock Security, we have the right fit for any situation. Arm hooks can be retrofitted to doors with existing pull handles. Adding crash bars can reduce even more touch points while retaining ease of exit. And for those looking to remove touch points altogether, we offer wave to open solutions enabling you to command the door from afar. Reduce touch points and live healthier with LockDock Security. I mean, it's, we could probably talk for hours on these types of things. So I want to kind of be intentional with the message, I guess, that we're, we're talking about. So the, the kind of underlying context is at whatever point you are in your business, if you are at the point of where you're just about to, to cross, uh, cross over a million dollars in annual revenue, or if you're up into the five, 10, 15, you're probably most companies in that size range have not really figured out the entire financial metrics and models of their business. A lot of it's happened through uh, great hard work, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, just kind of the grind of getting there. Uh, Looking into understanding and being more educated on the financial um, literacy of your business and running along of somebody that can help guide you down that path and say, these are the things that you need to be focused on. So that's kind of the, the... the, I guess, basis of our conversation here. Mm -hmm. So my question is, I guess, to kind of start to bring a close to the conversation is if I'm a business owner, one, I'm listening to this right now and I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'm in that, right? I I feel that, I feel that pain. 
I feel the the cash flow crunch from time to time. I feel like I'm not quite sure if tomorrow everything is going to fall apart or tomorrow we're going to have a major success. Also, I'm really busy and I've got a lot of demands on my time. And now you're asking me to try to bring somebody in and explain to them what I've got going on in my business. Mm -hmm. So what I one of the questions I like to ask a lot of times in these podcasts is what does the onboarding look like? What does the start of this relationship look like? What kind of effort do I have to put into this? So like we can talk the financial commitment and financial investment, but like what is the amount of time, energy and resources I've got to place towards this to see it be successful? Man, I would love for the answer to be very little, but you know, that would, that would be just magic. It just that would, this happens. That would be disingenuous. So, uh, really the answer is there, they, we could pace whatever, uh, whatever pace it makes sense for the business owner. So there's some with acute needs and we got to jump right on it. But if let's just say you don't necessarily have an acute need, mm-hmm. you know, it can be as little as an hour a month to start off with, uh, having conversations, um, and, you know, in conversation one, I guarantee you get value. And, uh, you know, I know that you're thinking, man, I got to talk to this person and they're going to ask me a bunch of questions. I'm basically going to have to educate them on my business. Mm-hmm. But I find that in every single conversation, we're able to provide some value. Hey, you're doing X, Y, and Z. Well, I've got another client that did that. And here's, a, here's three things that happened when they were doing it. They wish they'd have done different. Sure. Just, you know, there's, there's a little piece of uh, something for you, or just giving you a couple numbers that uh, when we dive into your financial statements that we can give you that make you feel better about things. Well, you know, I, I, to, to kind of add on to that or, or maybe validate what you're saying, I've experienced this so many times uh, in, in my years that a conversation like that, an hour of time, I'm like, man, I don't really know if I really have the the capacity in my schedule to do that. Mm. And I sit down with somebody and they start asking me these hard questions. How are you doing this? Why is this this way? And in the moment, it's probably a bit frustrating. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's not probably, it's actually a bit frustrating. Feels like you're getting beat up. Yeah. But yeah. the takeaway of it is going, oh man, mm-hmm. like I just had the greatest idea because of this conversation where somebody was challenging me on, why do you do it this way? I'm like, you know what? There is no good reason to do it that way. We need to fix it. Mm -hmm. You know? So there's a lot of value, even in the the hardship value to to bring to that conversation. So, so one of the other things you're right, there's a, there's a time investment and Mm -hmm. you can make it over, over a longer period of time. So it's not as intense, but what I would really want to talk to you about is how worth it it is. Like what, what are the results long-term so there's a few things that I see. Number one, I see a lot of stress out of business owners that are related to finance and visibility in their finances um, that that can really be lowered. I'm going to say cut in half, cut by 75% mm-hmm. over some time with really good systems and uh, advisory. Um, and then the other thing I would tell you is that business owners tend to run for very, very long periods of time, 60, 80 hours a week, doing a bunch of stuff that they don't love. What we find happens is they burn out. They try to advocate their responsibility. They try to hire somebody in. It doesn't go well. They're in this this mess. Um, and or they go out to market and they want to sell their business. They want to sell it right now. Um, 
you know, what I would tell you is we've, we've got a product called the health score. And what I, we encourage everybody to do is it's like your yearly checkup. Go ahead and, and put your financial, let us run a financial health score on you. We're going to find out where you're doing great and where you might have opportunity for improvement. And then we're going to, we're going to come right beside that and put what we think the benefit would be if you were to fix it. So it's not, Hey, come fix all these 82 things right now. It's man, here's three things that are pretty easy that if you were to fix it and you were to, were to want to sell your business in three years, you'll get an extra turn, an extra turn of EBITDA or, you know, you'll get an, an extra million dollars. So, Hey, let's focus here. So, yeah. so being confident you're building your business to create enterprise value, so that if you ever want to sell, you can, and you can get what you what you want out of it. Frankly, when you do it that way, you, you tend to build a business that you enjoy running yeah. and doesn't take 80 hours a week to run. Um, so that's that's neat. But you know, at the end of the day, the folks who work with us love what they do. It's like it's their calling. It's what they get out of bed in the morning to do. And what I find is most business owners don't love accounting. Yeah. Don't love dealing with the banks. Don't love dealing with ERC tax credits and these kind of things. And we got people that love to do it. So they can do it not because they're uh, better educated in this area, which they are, but it's because they're passionate about it. So, mm-hmm. Man, they're they're all every part of their being is into it. And if we our our mission is for business owners and managers to do more of what they love to do every day. Yeah. And so I I'd want to yeah it will be an investment, but six months a year from now you're gonna have clear visibility into your accounting, your accounting team, your finances. You're gonna have KPIs. You're gonna um you're gonna be sleeping better at night, and you're gonna know that. You're growing your business for value, creating enterprise value. No, I think it's a valid point. I, I can tell you that um, I've I have had to put an intentional investment around uh, financial literacy over the past 24 months, and I feel like I appreciate what a fractional CFO would do, or a CFO, or what our accounting team does a lot more because of the investment of time that I've put into understanding it. I don't. Uh, envy that that role or that task by any stretch because you know from a you know we could get into personality and all that stuff but from from a, a standpoint of what happens there is not uh, does not lead lend to me as an individual but uh, the point of that is I feel like having better understanding of that by either partnering with a fractional CFO or somebody that can educate you on that you're going to make better decisions as a business owner mm-hmm. because you're working from a different set of information versus that gut intuition or uh, are chasing top line revenue when that may not always be the answer to the situation that you're at. And when things start to go off kilter a little bit, you don't quite understand what the things are that you need to start tweaking or improving because you don't have a full picture to, to deal with. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a really good way to summarize. I mean, little, I, I could, I could talk to you about this for days. Sure. I could just throw little stuff out there to you, but it's things like knowing that you need to go out and if your business is doing great right now and you got $2 million cash in the bank right now is the time to go get a line of credit. Yeah. doesn't matter that you don't need it. Sure. You got to go get it now because the day you need it, they won't give it to you. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, I mean, there are just hundreds of little things like that where somebody, if somebody's looking over your shoulder, they're going to be like, do this. That wouldn't take very much time yep. to do this little, this little thing. And then when you run into t- lean times, you're prepared for them. Yeah. All right. Um, I, I, I guess for, uh, to, to kind of close this out to, for contact, we'll obviously have a link to your website in the yeah. description below, but tell us 
a 60 second overview of your business and how people can get a hold of you. Yeah. So we've got, um, for this podcast, we're going to do, uh, I should know, but it's, I think it's half a dozen, uh, free CFO sessions for anybody that wants to sign up. There'll be a link awesome. that we'll send you. Um, but we, we would love to be able to, to sit down with your, um, your listeners and just give us an hour. Give us 45 minutes, and uh, I think that they'll see value right away. The next step, I mean, we can certainly do just advisory services. We love for businesses to participate in what we our health score. This goes through your entire accounting and finance and banking, and it ranks you on a lot of objective criteria. We can sit down and tell you where you're world-class, where you're falling a little bit short, and where your greatest opportunities are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think – and then if you – if that can provide a roadmap for the future as to how you can work on that and it not be so esoteric or like, you know, part of the problem with accounting is you can't touch it, right? You can't feel when you're getting better. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's really important. The other thing that, you know, is starting to run out that I just want to, I want to put out here right now, again, we'll have links is the employee retention credit tax credits are still out there. I know there's a lot of noise out in the market. There's a lot of people that aren't financial folks that aren't, you know, don't have CPA backgrounds and everything that are out there um, marketing for it. Mm. You know, we we do come from a CPA background. Uh, we have attorneys that are uh, that are helping us with ours. We provide um, audit support. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if if anything were ever come down the pike later on, but it, there's a lot of our clients that have gotten more from the ERC tax credits than they ever got from PPP. Yep. Um, so, a big big benefit that I would suggest if your listeners haven't checked into that they should. Yeah, I I can tell you because uh, I've I've been in a lot of conversations. Not to prolong the, this uh, recording, but I've been in a lot of conversations with people, and there's a lot of interest in ERTC, the Employee Retention Tax Credits, but there's a lot of confusion around it and lack of do I qualify? What are the criteria? It seems confusing, seems a bit risky. Also, it seems like a lot of paperwork that I've got to fill out. So there's a lot of intrigue, but a lot of uh, hesitation on it. But the, I think the valid point is like, you, you got to make a decision on it. Get with somebody that you can trust. Consult with it and, and make a decision. It's it's unfortunate it's become viewed as risky because it's not. It's just like any other tax credit that's out there. It is predictable that it's confusing because the rules changed many many times from when it came out to today. And so there there have been do, you know probably a dozen sets of rules yeah. that have materially changed over time. So if you looked at it you know eighteen months ago and didn't qualify. You might qualify today. Sure, so. good, good point, man. I appreciate you being here today. It's been uh, it's been awesome to chat with you, and um, it, uh, that's an awesome offer for the uh, the the six free um, consultation because uh, you get a lot of value out of it and going through the process of seeing how healthy your business is and you learn something. And if you if you guys can do business together, if not, you're at least making progress and you've learned something that you can make some changes with. Yeah. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Hey, Brent, thanks again for joining us. Man, if you want to get in on one of those free evaluations, make sure you click on the link in the description below. Check that out. And make sure you subscribe. Another brand new episode coming at you next week at Tuesday on on Tuesday at 9 a.m. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time right here on the Coffee Break Podcast. Coffee Break.